welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Joe, I had a heck of a weekend that didn't include watching a whole lot of sports, So, uh, but we'll get to that in the D block. But I wanted to start with the news that came out in the last week where we finally do have a girls basketball coach at Stanton named Donta Robinson. He's been the JV girls head coach for seven years, also the varsity softball coach. Uh, real excited for him to get the opportunity to lead that team, uh, you know, taking over there, you know, had coached in that program. Uh, but he's real exciting. I liked the comments he had, uh, the look on his face in the picture uh, in the paper was good too. He, it seems very appreciative of his opportunity. Great to see. Yeah, it's great to see him get that opportunity, like you said. And I think, you know, the, the girls program um, is going to be a challenge, especially I'm, I'm not sure I didn't see the article, uh, but if he's staying on his varsity, that's, you know, two seasons that run back to back. That's going to be tough, but should be or softball. I meant I think I said, just said varsity. Um, if he's going to stay at varsity softball, too. <laughs> then yeah. that's going to be two seasons running back to back. I'm sure that'll be a challenge, but I'm sure he's looking forward to that challenge. Yeah. And we know other, other sports and schools, especially the smaller schools that mm-hmm. have those kind of problems pop up. Yeah. And that's when they lean on their assistants. I'm not, probably on both sides. Uh, so we'll have to Early see how on, that plays yeah. out. I know it's, it's hard fielding coaches for everywhere, every sport at every school, uh, not even just the small schools, but uh, all we have is small schools around here pretty much. So, um, yeah, it'll be fun, though, to see him given that opportunity. And, he, and he's got room to build up. And, and the good thing for him is he knows sure. these girls. He knows these kids. He knows the program. Um, he's probably had a good idea of what hasn't been working, uh, to be fair. You know, it, it hasn't been the sure. greatest run here for them from a program that's not so far removed from, you know, the pinnacle in the state championship. Um, so hopefully he can, you know, learn, you, you use those lessons learned and move it forward and, uh We've seen that happen already at that school just last fall uh, with the football team where the sure. JV coach took over and, and then really, you know, where they start out seven and oh, just had a great start and a great season overall and a playoff run. So, um, you know, we'll see if that that kind of history repeats itself, but a great opportunity. And I, I think the other unique position that he finds himself in now is because he's been coaching the JV team. As you said, not only is he familiar with the program, he's familiar with the girls he's going to have on that varsity Absolutely. team. So yeah. I know varsity and JV coaches, you know, the JV coach is usually an assistant coach on the varsity team anyway. And and there's a lot of talking from, you know, this crop going up. This is their strength. This is their weaknesses. But he doesn't have to talk to somebody else and get their opinion on strengths and weaknesses because he knows firsthand. He's, he's yeah. seen these girls. So he knows what those girls excel at. He knows what those girls' weaknesses are and how best to, you know, help mask that in a game so i i think that's another uh pro to bringing him in and uh, letting coach robinson try his hand at the varsity position absolutely so uh that'll be fun to watch as we go into next year uh still looking for that riverheads girls and fort girls uh positions to be filled so as soon as those do we'll talk about it here on the podcast but on to the sports that uh have taken the field you know, we said Fort Defiance needed to have, you know, kind of a wake-up week next last week, and, and a big part of that was getting a win over Buffalo Gap, and they they really woke up. There was a 10-0 win, um, and, and their pitching has kind of come together in this last stretch of games that they were pretty much banking on the entire season. So they've kind of thrown themselves into the mix here, into this middle group, and then when you pair that with Buffalo Gap's win today, 3-1, to one, uh, on Tuesday here over Riverheads, that's kind of 
allowed Wilson to kind of separate themselves up at the front. And then, you know, then there's the chunk of teams in the middle there, Riverheads, Gap, and Fort. Um, and, and they all still kind of got to play each other one more time. But now it's really given Wilson a, a way to just take care of business of their own and go forward. They had previously lost to Gap, but had beaten everybody else in the district uh, the first time through. And they're coming up on a bunch of games with those teams, including Gap on Friday. So uh, that's the team that, you know, Gap won against Wilson last time. We'll see if Gap can do it again, if they can have a hot week. Um, but, uh, you know, right now, Wilson definitely in the driver's seat. Yeah, and not only is it the two-game cushion they have over Buffalo Gap that's going to be a problem, in my opinion, it's the fact that Wilson is coming off five straight wins. They've won 11 of their last 12 games, and I know Buffalo Gap is that loss. But it just feels like Wilson Memorial is starting to get hot, and this is them separating from the rest of the pack. Yeah, and then part of their getting hot is their pitching has really come together. That, you know, it was one of the things that seemed strong in the game that I was there for, even though Riverhead started to put some runs together after it was a blowout. Uh, but early, they really controlled things on the mound. But even more so, a great example last week, I know they're playing Stanton, the team kind of at the bottom of the standings, but uh, Finn Irving throwing five perfect innings. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's plenty of times you have mismatches on the baseball field and there's not perfect games. But we, we had one there last week. Shortened game, you know, because of run rule and, and whatnot. But still, five perfect innings out of Finn Irving, the senior there. So a great job there. He's been good on the mound. Also, um, the other Irving has been very good for them as well, the younger one. Um, I think he pitched well on Monday night. I think they won. I think they're 7-1 and one now um, with a win over Stuart draft, I believe, uh, on Monday night. So, you know, Wilson, you know, not – it's not surprising. We kind of thought they'd be at the top there. Uh, and we were kind of hoping Gap Riverheads maybe be able to hang on. It's really up to Gap at the end of this week to to leave it that way. And on a, another interesting matchup at the end of the week will be Fort at Riverheads. Um, you know, that's two of those middle group teams facing each other. And so we'll see see what happens there. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the middle pack plays out. Because like you said, Buffalo Gap, yeah. Fort. Riverheads, they're all right there with each other. They're, they all have to play each other again. And I, I honestly think that second to fourth could end up in any order. But yeah. to me, Wilson yeah. has won the district, and and now it's just a race for second, third, and fourth. And and what we've really seen, too, is that Stewart's draft, we kept waiting for him to wake up. You know, this is a team that played deep, you know, state playoffs last year and uh, for coming from class two. And, and they've dropped I, to one and five in the district. Yeah, I just don't think, I think this is their year. And, yeah. Yeah, it's not their year. So, and I, I would say it's it's probably not positive feelings going into the postseason as well, because I just don't think in Class 2B, where we might give Riverheads and Gap a little more benefit of the doubt and what they'll do in 1B, it's hard to do that with Stewart's draft in 2B and the fact that they're, you know, 1 and 5 and playing 500 ball at best. So that's the story there on baseball. Looking over at softball, Stewart's draft, they beat Fort last week 2-1, to one, and then Buffalo Gap fell to Fort on Friday, four to two. But what we had said at the beginning of last week is Fort needed a big week. One and one wasn't going to do it. One and one wasn't going to get them over the hump. And there they go, one and one last week. So they kind of stay behind the eight ball there. They're not going to really, you know, they needed to beat draft to kind of pull draft back. Draft's undefeated in the district. They needed to be up in that second group there. And uh, while they are one of them, they're just at the back of that pack. Uh, the other thing that scares me for Fort Defiance is we see them play TA on Monday night this week and they lose 11 to one. So mm -hmm. whatever they were hoping to get out of this 
district season and win a district, they're not going to win the district. And whatever hopes they had for, you know, getting into 3C and really making a run, there is no indication that they're going to be able to go into 3C and have a lot of confidence after they continually lose these games to 3C teams, especially a team like TA losing 11 to 1. That really tells a story there. Yeah, I, we both knew they lost a lot coming out of last year yeah. in that big run, but we thought they had enough to get back maybe. And, you know, we're just so used to seeing Fort Defiance at the top of the district and a, and a competitor in 3C. We thought we might see that again, and it looks like it's going to be a down year for them, unfortunately. Um, yep. That being said, you know, we touched on this last week, I think it was. I don't think we're going to have a softball team in Class 3 that makes that run. I mean, all four of our Class 3 teams are at the bottom of the Shenandoah District. That doesn't usually spell success in the region tournament. Um, so then you're looking at the top of the district. What do we get out of them? Because I know we also touched on baseball last week with, that we were a little bit worried about what we might see out of baseball in terms of deep runs. Um, man, to me, you know, Riverheads or Gap, one of those two, as long as they don't end up seated in a position where they're going to play each other in a semifinal. Um, well, I mean, if they don't end up I, in that situation, both yeah. could make a deep run. Um, but at least one of them will make a deep run, I believe. And then Stewart's draft is playing well, um, but you just don't know in terms of the other 2B teams. And this is where it's harder, harder to read. We know 1B is not very good. So that's why we can say with fair certainty that Yes, Buffalo Gap. Yes, Riverheads. Potentially both at least one is going to make a deep run. When it comes to Sewer Strap, 2B is a little bit better. There are some really good softball teams in 2B. Absolutely. And I, and I worry that Stewart Strap, where we usually say iron sharpens iron in the Shenandoah District, and it sets them up for these region tournaments, I don't know if that's the case in softball. Like I don't know if Draft is getting too much iron. Yeah, well, I mean, that result against Page County a week ago is something you could use in, in that argument. But, sure, you know. that's, a, that's a positive sign. But then again, like, if they're used to beating teams that are just way worse this year oh, and having I mean, down I'm years. Positive, I, I said it the wrong way, I think. I, they lost to Page County, so that was kind of the sign in, in the favor of the argument you were making. I, right, I when, they, when, they, when they're beating all these down teams in yeah. this year, like, I think that's kind of what you worry about like that loss to page and then even when you get in the region tournament even if they had beaten page but it's close you worry like okay how is this team going to respond to adversity when we fall behind how are they going to respond when you're yeah. playing better teams right now you can fall behind two three runs early in a softball game and come back because frankly the shindua district's not very good this year yeah i i do think true draft will still have to probably prove a little bit in the postseason but they'll have that opportunity and they'll probably have a nice seed to do it and some that's, home that's the best so that, news. Be they're, a good favor. They're going to get major power points because yeah. of all the class three teams that they're beating up on. Yep. Moving it over to the boys soccer. We had the big game last week and Stanton made it happen to a degree. They got the tie. That was a big get for them. there. No. Uh, still sit. That's not good I mean, enough. Something. It has to mean something when they don't lose, but it's not good <laughs> enough. They needed to win. It's over. Yeah, they did need to win. They did need to win, but they're still just that, that one loss behind. Uh, the problem for them is that, and that's why you're shaking your head. That's why it's not. You're saying it's not good enough. Is that who else can beat Wilson? And, and it's hard to think of a team that will do that. But I think it has to give Stanton a, a little bit of a nod in their head of, hey, we've we've beat some of these three C teams out of the Valley District this year. 
Uh, we just tied with Wilson. Maybe we are getting stronger. So maybe confidence can be building there. They play Spotswood again this week. That is the one three C team they've lost to. It's probably the best three C team they've played. Uh, so that that might that might end up being a wake up call or or maybe a bigger confidence booster. Wilson has not fared well against three C teams, but they have also played the harder harder side of the soccer three C teams out of the Valley District. So both of those teams will be in that Valley District tournament. They're going to want to make the noise, um, but I, that's a hard boys three C soccer. We saw last year with uh, LCA doing so well, and and some of those you know Roanoke Lynchburg area teams kind of coming up and and taking care of things. So, uh, but that was the big game, and uh, you know Stan has to feel a little bit good to get the tie, but I, I, I'm not arguing with you that it would have been, they needed that win. Yeah. They needed the win to have a shot at the district title. I, I think that's over and, and girls soccer. I kind of feel the same way. You know, I was hoping Waynesboro was going to put some pressure on, but yeah. they got a tie. And now you look at the schedule and you're like, all right, who's going to beat Wilson for Waynesboro to have a shot here or, or even tie Wilson for Waynesboro to have a shot going into the finale. And I just, I mean, maybe Stanton, but I, I don't see a lot there either. Yeah. It, it, it feels like a soccer sweep for up. Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Waynesboro plays Stanton this week. So I, I think that's scary for Waynesboro. That's, you know, if they had their hopes up mm-hmm. and Wilson, 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 they cannot let off against Stanton. Stanton's capable of beating some teams. They're, they're an improving soccer program there. And uh, that was good for them there. But uh, moving over to tennis, the real thing I just wanted to mention is we know that Wilson and Riverheads, they play on May 11th. And we're all just kind of waiting for that to happen because that's that's really the tail of the tape there on the boys tennis side is Wilson's 8-0, Riverheads is 8-1 in the district. Um, and, and really both of them looking to go deep in the postseason and uh, no reason to think they, they won't have their shots to do that. Girls, it's all Waynesboro. They're 8-0. Everybody else in the district is four or five or three and five or four and four. So Waynesboro's kind of running away with that district there. Yeah, it does seem that way. But talking about college sports now, our local teams in softball, Virginia Tech, uh, unfortunately lost to Marshall in the midweek, but they did bounce back with a huge, huge series win against number six Clemson that kind of, I mean, this is for both Virginia Tech diamond sports and we'll talk about the baseball side here in a second but every time you start to think they're out of it they pull themselves back in with a series win and when you feel confident that okay they're in it they'll lose a conference series so you don't know what to make of it um but it i will say softball is definitely going to make the conference tournament the question is can they make some noise in that conference tournament for a potential at large bid yeah, they're at a five seed right now, and they actually are done with their conference regular season play. They don't have a uh, conference series this weekend. Uh, a lot of the other ACC teams do, so seeding will still have to get locked in there. But Tech will be around that five spot. The top six seeds get that first round by, and then it's you know single elimination tournament after that. So uh, that's what they have ahead of them. Uh, probably a you know four or five seed in that tournament, and yeah, they're they're going to play good teams. They're going to have to beat them if they want to advance. Um, and, and see what that means for the uh, the big tournament after that. JMU, uh, they got the sweep of Appy State. That's always nice. And so trying to ride the momentum. Now they play Texas State. Uh, JMU sitting at the 6th seed, just the same as the ACC tournament and the Sunbelt tournament. 
10 seeds make it. The top six get a bye. JMU sitting at the six, but they're playing the five seed this weekend in Texas State and down there at Texas State. So they have an opportunity to move up a spot or or, or two uh, with a win this weekend. If, if they if they get the series win, they should move up that spot. Um, if they get the sweep, they have the chance for maybe a little bit more. So, uh, you know, maybe getting hot at the right time. Going to still be tough in that Sunbelt championship series there, but you know, you want to be playing your best ball at the end of the year. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful that Appy state sweep kind of indicates that. Yeah. Um, and, and softball, like you said, it's kind of about getting hot at the right time and they've, they've had a tough go of it, but we kind of expected that. Right. And I think even when we had coach Laporte on at the beginning of the season, she had said, she said yeah. yeah, I mean the sixth place that we had said like, Oh, maybe that's a little insulting. Uh, she had said, you know, it's great to use this bulletin board material, but it's also a wake-up call to to her team that this is not going to be a cakewalk conference. And even if they finish with the sixth seed, um, it, it's not like they can't go out and surprise some people in the tournament. Now, that's going to be easier said than done because, again, a lot of those teams they've played, a lot of those teams were rough sledding. But um, if, if you're playing your best at the right time, you can get hot. I, I do... I do feel for JMU softball, this is not going to be a year where the Sun Belt gets like six or seven teams. So oh, they're no, they're no, going to need no. to win the conference. They're going to need yeah. to win the conference to get in at this point, um, which may be a tall order. But at, I think at this point, just seeing them uh, maybe get into that conference semifinal uh, would be a big, big step forward for the program. Yeah, and I think one thing to remember when you're watching them, remember what Coach Laporte has said, of, you know, coming off the World Series run, which – you got to remember that was kind of a magical run. It's not just that this program absolutely is, you know, a top six program in the nation every year in year out. They they had, they played at that level at the end of that year, but it's not that they just had backlog of players to do that. So they have the recruiting bump from that run. She said it even the next fall. I mean, a year, a year and a half ago, that recruiting bump is kind of two years out. Like they're just starting to get some of the kids this year that are maybe freshmen that that's the first few of them that they're getting on campus because of that recruiting bump. But the recruiting bump is still coming ahead of them this next fall. All those kids will kind of be reaction from that run. So, you know, that program's still growing. So nothing, no reason to raise any flags there at JMU softball. And, you know, I think this is a great sign. This, this is a sign of good coaching is what I like to say, whether they're getting their best ball at the right time of the year. And so uh, a good indicator of for future years is the way I like to look at that. On the baseball diamond, uh, you had a uh, you had a home series this weekend. You had VCU at home this weekend, right? I did. It was fun. Um, it was a little worrying on whether we would get any games in. Uh, well, we knew we were going to get at least two in, but getting all three in was a bit of uh, a coup for the weekend. Not a, everyone could say that. In fact, it's kind of caused some potential trouble on how they're going to make up games. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a second when I get to the conference standing side. But for VCU, they did end up getting a game in. Um, it made for a hectic day on Friday. The game was scheduled at 6, got moved up to 4, then 4.30, then 4.40 um, due to rain not leaving the area when they thought it would. They finally got the game in uh, just in time because it started raining on my drive back uh, shortly onto the interstate. Uh, but it was a comeback win on Friday where they end up winning rather comfortably after falling behind 5 nothing, end up winning 10-6. Uh, 
Saturday in game number one of the doubleheader, they fall behind 4 nothing. come back, tie it. Then St. Louis gets the lead again, doesn't give it back. St. Louis wins. Uh, I believe that one was 11, 10 to 5, um, actually. And then the, uh, the game number two of our doubleheader on Saturday, because they looked ahead at the weather on Sunday and said, no chance. Let's go ahead and play a doubleheader. St. Louis gets to leave town a day early. Everybody's happy. Except yeah. St. Louis was not happy on the flight back because they were a little upset about some umpiring decisions that now to me you had three leads in this series early you blew all three leads you survived in one of those maybe you look at that um but I understand I also kind of understand in that moment uh let me explain the moment instead of talking around it um St. Louis gets a big lead VCU comes back now we're going into extra innings uh in extra innings (laughs) VCU's leadoff man, I don't even remember what the count was, but there was a pitch inside. It hits off the knob of his bat. He doesn't try to sell it. Hits off the knob of his bat, so the umpire says foul ball. Okay, next pitch. Similar sound, but the hitter is dropping the bat, going to first, the umpire says, no, that's a foul ball. And the hitter's like, no, it hit me in my elbow guard. So... The home plate umpire starts to have a conversation with the base umpires while that's going on. Now, the A-10 doesn't have replay, but where I am, we do have replay on ESPN+. Plus. So we're watching the replay. Sure enough, hits him right in the bicep on the elbow guard. Um, base umpires talk it over. They say, you know what? It did take first base. The other umpires saw what the home plate umpire did not. St. Louis's coach comes out. And has a meltdown. Um, to which, again, I even said on the broadcast, I was like, look, it did hit him in the arm. But I also get, if you're the St. Louis coach, the home plate umpire calls a foul ball, talks it over with umpires who are not as close, and gets over. then they decide to overturn the call. I can understand how that might make you upset. So he gets ejected. In the 11th inning... Now there is a runner on first to lead off the inning for VCU, needing one run to win. Next hitter squares around to bunt. The bunt is placed perfectly, and I mean perfectly, down the first baseline. Pitcher would have had to field it cleanly. He does not. So now there are runners on first and second. Next hitter up goes to bunt. The catch, it bounces right in front of home plate. Catcher fields it, throws it to third to get the lead runner. The throw is high. The third baseman catches it, but when he comes back on the gra- the base, the runner is already there. Everyone's safe. Base is loaded. Next guy bloops one into, in between the infield that's in and the outfield, and VCU walks it off, and St. Louis is not happy. They lost a season series for the second time in conference play. It just so happened to be the second straight weekend they lose a conference series. Um, and now when you're looking at the conference standings, and I mentioned not everybody got three games in, one of them being Davidson, the team they are battling for first with. Uh, Davidson now has a half-game advantage over St. Louis. Uh, St. Joe's has battled their way to the top seed as well because they're half-game out. For VCU, they're looking at George Mason and George Washington, who didn't get full series in, and Richmond, who didn't get a full series in. Richmond is a half-game ahead of VCU. George Mason and George Washington are half game behind VCU. 
VCU currently sits at sixth in the A-10. Only seven teams make it. So right now, they're in. They'd love to see what happens if Richmond and George Mason play again. I don't know. I guess maybe you root for George Mason because you've already played them. And you can, or maybe you root for Richmond because you can control your own destiny. I don't know how VCU looks at that. Um, you've already played George Mason. Uh, if you play R- Richmond, you control. That's your last home series of the week of the year, uh, which is on the twelfth weekend of the twelfth um, for VCU. So they they can kind of control their own destiny in that sense. I would imagine uh, for the Rams, <sighs> realistically. I'd say as high as fourth with the risk of not making it somewhere in there, I would say is probably where VCU enters the a 10 tournament. The way this year has gone, the a 10 is pretty jumbled up. I'd say any of the seven teams that get in have somewhat of a chance. Davidson is starting to play really well. Again, uh, St. Louis is still really good. St. Joe's is getting hot and St. Joe's is a team that last year had the hitting, uh, just mash the ball. Still mashing the ball this year, but they've got some pitching. They had some pitching that I saw in the Valley League, in fact, and it's really good young pitching that they're going to have there. So that makes them an interesting candidate. The A-10 is absolutely looking like a one-bid league. So that's going to be an exciting tournament. Winner goes on to the conference tournament, or uh, excuse me, to the regional. Loser is out. JMU, another in-state school that's not in the Power Five. Big weekend. But they lost to Appalachian State. So now yeah, they... follow up to that Louisiana series. Uh-huh. Yeah, now they're on the outside looking in of the conference tournament. They're not out of it, but they've got some work to do. They can't afford too many more series losses. And uh, the Sun Belt Baseball does not look like a one-bit league. It, I think the last projection I saw from D1Baseball.com had about three teams from the Sun Belt, by my quick count, getting in. So... It'll be interesting, but uh, the UVA midweek is, you know, whatever as a conference confidence booster, but it is absolutely paramount to have that Marshall series when they get ready to play uh, over the weekend because it's just frankly kind of do or die time for JMU baseball. And in reality, they need to pretty much uh, sweep as much as they can. And they'll play a UVA team that just beat VCU, by the way. Yeah. And, yeah, that comes up on uh, Wednesday night on ACC Network Extra. UVA, they, uh, they, you know, they had that sweep of Miami a few weeks ago, and now they've lost three straight ACC weekend series. This week, you're losing to Duke. So uh, pretty surprising um, there, what they've done there. So they need to kind of get things together. They're still working from a high spot. So it's not that the – world is over but still you know not as steady as they were to start the year uh virginia tech they lost they won a series or no lost the series excuse mm-hmm. me two to one uh versus unc they get bowling green this coming weekend and uh they also hope to soften marshall up for jmu here midweek so uh that's what's going there on baseball uh the, but the, you just gotta re- go ahead the 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 problem for uva isn't you know losing three straight acc weekends you might miss the tournament they're going to be in the tournament and oh, they'll yeah, probably they'll yeah, probably yeah. host a region, but probably. this what has happened with the three straight weekend series losses. They were on they were battling for super regional host, and now I think that's gone. I, I don't think that's a possibility at this point. Yeah, I agree. 
you got to remember here, though, softball, though, they are wrapping up quicker here than baseball. That's a normal, normal season there. They, they're conference tournaments here in a week and a half, and then uh, they'll start that postseason tournament right after that. So something to look forward to there. Well, let's look at the big diamond there in Major League Baseball and uh, the showdown series of the season so far starting tonight. You know, everybody had this circled as when the season started. You know, everybody knew this was going to be a big series. Uh, just the battle of the two best teams, National League leading uh, Pittsburgh Pirates at 20 and 9. Uh, they're playing at the AL best Tampa Bay Rays, who are 23 and 6. So, just as we all, you know, World you know, Series I know preview. It's not Yankees, Red Sox, but still, everybody had this circle because they just knew these two teams would be the tops as we enter May, right? Well, they didn't have Yankees Red Sox circle because that's a battle of two cellar dwellers in the AL East. Um, but yeah, Rays Pirates uh, World Series preview potentially. Um, <laughs> if that's the World Series, Major League Baseball will scream. Um, yeah, they'll fix it before all, all the rule changes they've made to help save baseball will have been in vain. Um, <laughs> the Rays did win Game One of that series. The they Orioles. Did. The Orioles uh, continue to feast. I, I tell you what, I'm rooting for your Pirates this weekend because I would love for the Orioles to gain some ground on the Rays. But uh, they are still playing the Kansas City Royals. But after falling behind 4 nothing, they're up 10-4 to because you can't keep those boys from Baltimore down. They keep doing that this year. They go down early and then just You know slam. what? This is the thing, Leland. It's so cerebral. It is so smart by the Orioles. Let the other team score first. Let them start high-fiving. You know, I don't know what the Kansas City Royals do. Crown, dugout crown, home run crown, whatever. It doesn't matter because once the dong bong comes out, it's over. <laughs> once we smash that ball out of the park and start pulling out the dong bong, it's done. <laughs> well, those are definitely – It's it was funny watching – really paying attention over the weekend. You know, Pirates and Orioles kind of leading all those conversations was real interesting as they got ready for that series. Hopefully Pirates can win game two and uh, then win the series. But uh, other big stories around baseball, uh, Bryce Harper is going to be coming back there for the Phillies. Uh, and he's su- coming back super quick from Tommy John surgery. That's that's a lot of people's talk here on Monday. I'll get back to the Bryce Harper thing you mentioned, Leland, but I invested in the Pittsburgh Pirates against the LA Dodgers and felt good about it. I mean, they were plus money, and I was like, look, if they're going to give me plus money on the Pirates, I'll take it. Yeah, I didn't invest, and I should have. I've only had that one investment this year with uh, baseball. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a nice series to get the win, and we talked last week about, you know, what would be a good week. And I think four and two was kind of, we said, you know, that's that's good enough. And, it is, and you kind of mentioned, you know, well, it depends how they get there. Well, I mean, they won both series. That's how they got there, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's exactly what you want. So this week they have Tampa Bay. Man, it'd be nice to come out with a win in that series, but even if not, at least it's the best team in baseball. And then Toronto, I, I, I'm going to go into that series with some confidence. They're scoring runs, and that's awesome. Their starting pitching is doing well enough. I think they can win some more baseball games. Now, when we talk about the Pirates and the Orioles, both in playoff positioning and all this stuff, do I have a little more confidence about the Orioles, even though they're not my team like the Pirates are? Yes, because, I, you know, the names and the performances are a little bit closer to the expected than the Pirates. Some, some guys are playing out of their minds. And you also didn't expect to get out of McCutcheon what we're getting so far. So some of that will probably come back down to earth, where I think the Orioles are playing closer to as expected. It's just adding up to wins. And so um, 
they have, you said Kansas City, and then they have at Atlanta this weekend. That's so, a big series. Yeah, that's a big one. And that, you know, you come away with a win in that series, then, you know, nothing's fake. You know, it, it, this is real. And this I podcast will real. be real. This podcast will be real if you come away with a series win in Atlanta. I'm not expecting one in Atlanta. I do think our wins, uh, series win streak comes to an end there probably. But that would be okay. I mean, if we take care of business like we should against Kansas City, I'm not going to be shocked if we sweep the Royals. And then you win at least one in Atlanta, I'll be happy. Um, yeah. I hear what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree to a certain extent. Like, I think the Orioles are better than the Pirates head-to-head. I like the Orioles over the Pirates. But I will say this, an advantage for the Pirates having better odds than the Orioles to get into the playoffs is their division the sucks. Division. Yeah. Their yeah. Divi- the Cubs are bad. The Brewers are the team that they're competing with. The Cardinals have looked downright awful to start the season. To the point where I don't know what's going on there. Like, there's something wrong in St. Louis. It's early, but the saying is you can't win a division in April, but you sure can lose it. And it feels like the Cardinals are working on option B pretty hard. I mean, they're they're looking like one of the worst teams in baseball right now. And then the Reds. Like, they never do that. They never do that, too. They're always just like kind of in the mix or or good. Right. And so now the good news for the Orioles is they're playing really well. The Yankees are in last place in the Haley's, which um, I kind of love, but uh, they're beat up. So it's important for the Orioles to put as much distance between them and the Yankees as they can before they start to get healthy. Because once Judge and some of these other guys come back, you do kind of expect them to get better. But as you said, with Bryce, speaking of injuries, coming back from a record time in Tommy John. I hope for the best. I hope it's clean and he's absolutely 100% ready to go. But I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some concern about how quickly he came back. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys that get Tommy John are pitchers. So, like, that's how I first look at this a little differently. But it's not like no position players have gotten Tommy John surgery. I mean, there's been others. And so, Mm -hmm. for him to come back quicker than everybody... You know, they're pointing to his, you know, the type of body that he has, the, you know, training to be a professional athlete in his entire life, which he really has. I, all that stuff. Yeah. You just, you just hope it's, it's the right thing. And it, it I know Philadelphia is not exactly in the spot that they want to be right now in May, but like you put Bryce out there too early and then he goes back on the IL for the rest of the year. You're, you're not going to ever get to the spot you wanted to be this year. So I just, I yeah, I have the same concerns you do, but uh, it seem it does seem like a lot of times that I've doubted Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's made me pay, so uh, we'll see what he does. Well, I'll, I'll watch interested. And it's not we're not talking by like a few days either. We're talking about like a month, month and a half, if I remember that graphic yeah. I saw correctly. That he yeah. is like well, they're um, talking all star break. Like last time I remember, yeah. And, and so for him to be back this early, I'm with you. Like if if he's a hundred percent and the doctors look at it and go, you cannot do any more damage, then, hey, yeah, bring him back if he's ready to go. But I, I think you're right. I, I, I do wonder if the Phillies' less-than-stellar start is like, we need to get a jolt to this lineup. And then, I mean, if he's if he gets hurt, like you said, I mean, that's not only is that a psychological blow then, but that's a talent blow. And then you lose him for even more time. I then you start talking about the Phillies not making the playoffs. Yeah. 
All right, the draft. I, I will be honest, I paid no attention to the NFL draft this weekend. I, I had the big baseball weekend uh, that we'll talk about in the D block. But obviously, I've reviewed it at the end of the nights. I, you know, kind of catch up. But in the moments, I didn't watch any much any of it past Thursday night. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Thursday night before we dig into our teams. Um, we saw Bryce Young go first to Carolina, as most everybody was predicting. Uh, then we saw Stroud to Houston, which wasn't a surprise. But then when you started talking about Jalen Carter, was he his name was starting to come up three, four, five, six, and he, he didn't go, and he dropped all the way to nine. And I really didn't think his troubles and stuff that he had were going to cost him. But for him to go ninth, I think it, I think it did. I, I think that's the only way to look at it, that that, that hurt him. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I think when, when, these, when, when misbehavior happens and there's not a whole lot of punishment to it, it doesn't hurt my feelings that maybe professionally there's some punishment. Um, but he goes to Philadelphia, and it's probably a great situation for him. So in the long run, maybe yeah. it doesn't hurt him. But it hurts his paycheck a little bit here to start things off. Um, I don't know if you have comments on that, that or the, uh, the quarterbacks, you know, three out of the first four picks. That's, that's kind of what led, led me on Thursday night up top. That's fine. I, maybe Bryce young turns into a bona fide franchise quarterback. I don't think any of the other ones do. So if I, I thought Levis was going. Will Levis was supposed to go high, but you know what? I've heard a lot of interesting stuff since then. And, and it was seemed to be like, what they call the draft machine building him up and people, college scouts who had watched him play when all this rumors of, Oh, they're really interested in him. And the Panthers are rethinking number one. And if Levis is there, the Texans, the Texans will definitely hop on at will Levis. And all the people who watched him play in college were like, no, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because he's not good. And, (laughs) <laughs> which I mean, frankly, like I know I said on this podcast, I was like, well, Levis is jumping in odds on Vegas, which usually when Vegas jumps, that's when you start to think there might be fire to that smoke. But I was, I didn't, I never bet the draft. Cause that's a stupid thing to bet. And it might yeah. also be not something you legally can bet in the state of Virginia. I don't know, but um, I, I never watched a Kentucky football game and thought, wow, that guy's going to play on Sunday. Like, but not in the fall anyway, maybe in the XFL, but. I I agree though, too. But also I, I guess my comments for Anthony Richardson, the guy that does go number four to Indy. I kind of have similar comments. This guy, not that long ago, September, I was like, oh, I watched this game. Like, you know, and they played whoever and, uh, Utah. It was Utah. He played great and, against Utah, okay, but then okay, the rest great. of the year like, happened. I'm interested in this guy, but then he got into the SEC schedule, and it wasn't the same. And so for him, without many starts, you know, he only started last season in Florida. He didn't wasn't great in more games than not great. <laughs> like uh, you know, like it, it. And then to go number four, and he's going to be the Colts franchise quarterback. I just. I, I think you'd be better off getting a really good linebacker. That's why he would him. Cause I mean, and I was up on him. I'm not saying I didn't come on this podcast and say positive things about this guy, but like he definitely reads like a good college quarterback to me. 
And but he really actually wasn't that good of a college quarterback. So I it just kind of amazed me when he went forth. That that kind of blew my mind. And when you think about it, right, like I'm not saying you have to win national championships or go to the college football playoff to be a successful college quarterback or uh, NFL quarterback, but you have to be good, right? You have to look good and you have to have a good record typically, or at least, at least, at least for your school that you go to, like Jay Cutler had a pretty decent NFL career. He went to Vanderbilt, never won in the SEC or anything, but those are the golden years for Vanderbilt. So you, you get it. Josh yeah. Allen, those are the golden years for Wyoming. Like, you get it. <laughs> but yeah, when you I, watch I Anthony Richardson, there. and the only other comp I have is Patrick Mahomes didn't win a lot at Texas Tech. But he was electric there. Maybe like, you I could remember. say those were the golden years. They had a lot of good years of rando quarterbacks of coming through. About him while he but, was there. Like, but what's the, what's the rub now? Oh, maybe Cliff Kingsbury sucks as a coach because he had Patrick Mahomes and didn't win Jack. Like yeah. <laughs> he was barely making bowl games with Patrick Mahomes. And it turns out Cliff Kingsbury might not be a very good coach now. Um, so you wonder that at Florida. You're like, all right, if this guy's really an NFL quarterback, like what does that say about our college coach who barely scraped to a bowl game? All I know, after Richardson went, and probably seeing Levis keep falling, I was like, well, heck, guys, Hinton Hooker looked good in the SEC. Like, he was playing his tail off. He had big wins. Like, I'm not saying he should have gone for him. That's not really my argument. But, like, if these other guys did, then, like, were they considering him? And I'm, and I'm glad we're Hinton Hooker. He goes to Detroit. Uh, I actually think that's a great place for him to fall. I think yeah, he's going to probably like, sit a year and, and then be the quarterback there, potentially. Yeah, I, I think it's a great opportunity for him. Like, and, and he's done a lot with opportunities. I mean, so I'm, I'm all for him. I'll, I'll be cheering for him. Detroit was kind of that team I was cheering for behind the scenes last year, kind of NFC kind of pull for the hard knocks got me. I'll be doing it again this year. And Just what was their weakness? Uh, really? Quarterback. 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 So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I know they said Jared Goff and is defense. our... Defense a little bit, too. <laughs> yeah, I, but I know they said Jared Goff is our franchise quarterback and you're like yeah all right well then maybe don't have a franchise top 10 next year again that might not be the case right right. so and i don't even i mean jerry goff is also held together with duct tape duct tape and staples at this point so there's no guarantee that hendon hooker doesn't get in at some point this year and the offense is really good yes the defense but they they did draft some defensive players um, yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some were to replace yeah. players who got suspended slash cut because they were gambling on league property. But yeah, I just I don't get why these guys break rules that are stated clearly. Like, does it make like should they just be able to like you can gamble on college football, but if you're not a facility, but like they. But that's the thing; they did it at the facility. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, but like someone has said that to them. You just. So, like, whether it makes sense or not is irrelevant. You just got to follow the rules. Like, uh, it's just frustrating to see. Um, all right. So, the Ravens, when we left the podcast last week, you had a bet on the Ravens. We, uh, I think we got to it late. Uh, mm-hmm. So, remind us what that bet was and remind us how you won it. <laughs> uh, the bet was that the Ravens would not uh, trade for or draft a quarterback during the NFL draft. And it appears during the draft, they did not draft a quarterback or obtain a new quarterback on those draft days. And why is that, Joe? 
uh, because we did something that I'm still not 100% sold on. Um, we made Lamar, in terms of... For a part of the podcast last week, you should be 0% sold on. You railed against what they ended up doing. Yeah. Um, they made him the <laughs> highest paid quarterback in terms of money per year. Now, overall contract, that's still Deshaun Watson. Um, guaranteed money, that's still Deshaun Watson. Because even this contract, not all of it is guaranteed to Lamar. Now, a nice chunk of it is. Too big of a chunk. Um, if I'm the Ravens, I think they gave him too many years. Five years is a long time. I honestly, I would prefer that guaranteed money to be upfront. So at the end of this contract, when he's beat up and broken, you can just dump him because I really think you need to be finding that next quarterback like next year in that draft class. Cause that's a good quarterback draft class. This is me saying, I don't think Lamar is here for the long haul. I know Lamar is like, Saying, oh, there was a lot of talk about, you know, me not coming back and all that. And I was like, yeah, who was, I wonder where that came from. Your Twitter feed, sir. Like, <laughs> that's like, that's like if I, I mean, I, I don't know. That's like if your baby could talk after pooping itself and was like, oh my gosh, how did this poop get everywhere? And be like, <laughs> you, you did it. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I just, uh, that, that Twitter video railed against it. Yeah. That Twitter video drove me crazy. Now, does it address a short term need and you won't have the short term of like, what do we do at quarterback? Yes. I, but again, I just, I don't think at the end of the year, I don't think Lamar's going to be healthy. I think we're going to go through the same I, thing we went through the last two years where he's hurt. I, I mean, it's hard to think you won't, but They'll get given the opportunity there. What, um, what otherwise, anything else stand out to you with your draft class? You know, your first guy taken or anything else? That he doesn't know who's in the AFC North, which was a little bit worrying. Wow. I didn't know this. He, he had a quote where he didn't know. They asked the him, what do you think about playing in the AFC North? And he goes, I'll be honest, I don't even know who plays in the AFC North. And they told him, and he goes, oh, it sounds like we'll have some good games. And I was like, <sighs> Wow. Which, he's undersized. I mean, this is a... This is a Raven staple. Take wide receivers <laughs> in the first round who... Yikes. I don't know. I I hope it works. But when he said that, uh, you know, me and a Ravens friend that I have were texting each other. And he goes, am I the only one that's worried that he doesn't know who's in our division? Wow. And, like, doesn't know anything about the game, apparently? And I was like, well, to be fair, I probably won't remember his name in, like, three years. So it just, it has been this way for like 20 years. Like, (laughs) yeah, it it has the feel of like one of those Baltimore wide receivers that we draft. He'll have a big game or two and you'll be like, oh, there he is. And then the rest of the year, you'll be like, why can't we throw to him? And part of it is Lamar. Like that's the, uh, okay. So we signed OBJ, which I hate. Um, You want to know who the Ravens wide receiver or leading receiver is going to be next year? It's going to be Mark. Uh, Max Andrews, Mark Andrews, sorry, Mark Andrews. That's who's going to be the leading receiver. You know why? Because that's who Lamar can throw to. All these people, we need to get wide receivers for Lamar. No, we don't. We need big tight ends to go go patrol the middle of the field because that's that's as far as he can throw. He doesn't have the accuracy to throw it deep. Not going to be able to do it. What I I pulled away from draft class, I just saw a lot of ACC and Pac-12 teams. And again, if I listen to this podcast or listen to what you say while we're recording it, 
you don't exactly say positive things about the ACC and the Pac-12. So I just I didn't figure you'd be too pumped about a lot of these guys. Um, I mean, there's good individuals. They don't make for good teams. Uh, what uh-huh. do you want? What do you want me to say? I don't know. I don't know. You start painting broad brushes. So I was pulling that in. Yeah, I. I... Sometimes in the NFL draft, you're not drafting a team, you're drafting individuals. So you're picking the best players that fit your system. If you're asking me, how do I feel about Trenton Simpson and Tavius Robinson? I feel great. Like I I trust EDC and the Ravens front office to get this right. Well, similarly, I trust Pittsburgh to do the same thing. I saw the pick on, uh, Thursday, that's the only thing I paid attention to live. They got Broderick Jones. They tried to trade up. All they really gave up for that was, you know, they swapped first-round picks and then gave him a fourth-round pick to get the guy they wanted at offensive tackle. Apparently, the Jets were going to get him um, at 15, so they had to get up above them. So, fine with that. Got Joey Porter Jr., a cornerback out of Penn State. Nepotism Joey pick. Porter played a long time there. Um, and, then, you know, a lot of Big Ten team schools, all all power conference guys. Um two Georgia players, and then a bunch of Big Ten guys. So, uh, you know, they'll be used to playing in the Pittsburgh uh, weather and stuff, having played in the Big Ten, so we'll see what they got. Uh, you know, we had have things figured out at quarterback. Last year was the exciting year. We didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So this year was a lot tamer, and uh, I like that better. And so uh, hopefully these are good pieces. I like that Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia. I like that pick. Um, yeah, he's good. Steelers generally have – good tight end so I, I like that um washington will touch on them since a lot of you listeners are commander fans they got some cornerbacks up front emmanuel forbes out of mississippi state um they get the martin guy out 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 of illinois um kj henry that edge rusher out of clemson that was a that was an interesting pick there um so yeah i, I think some good pieces to add to that and uh that you know kind of check the boxes off of what they needed yeah, um, I think for the Commanders, it's very wait and see. I, I think the frustrating every, thing for Commanders fans is their yeah. owner is still Dan Snyder today, and it would have been nice to have a new ownership group in place for the draft, but yeah. them's the breaks, I guess. And uh, I know you want to right. talk about Hokies that were drafted, all one of them, um, but... <laughs> I actually do want to talk about this. I, I put it on here. I actually, I just, Connor Blumbrick. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that and I was like, no, come on. You got a mini camp invite and your boy Dax Hollyfield. We all know how much you love Dax. He's getting a Jaguars tryout. So I just, I just wanted to hear you laugh at those. Yeah. Get, enjoy the sun Dax. Cause <laughs> you and I are going to play the same number of NFL snaps this year. I just, yeah, look, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I, this my this is where I get like frustrated is the Virginia Tech fans of today like just want any positivity they can have, which I'm as you can tell listening to this podcast for any length of time, I'm not about that life. I'm about being real and just understanding what you are. And so when I'm hearing people like, oh, Dax is such a machine, I'm like, dude, Dax is not a machine. Dax is a machine that would not have made the roster when we were good in the like early to mid two thousands. So when I'm hearing about how much of a machine Dax Hollyfield is, 
And I'm looking at all the great Virginia Tech defensive players who have come through the program, been drafted, some Bruce Smith, one in particular, who's been in the Hall of Fame. Like, you can look through here and just be like, yeah, no, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things is why we're not going to bowl games. Like, Kamari Connor's not even that good in terms of Virginia Tech safeties, and he's a fourth-round pick. Yeah, I mean he's a fourth rounder. Okay, like I mean, Connor yeah, Blumrick being honestly first or second round. He's not Connor Blumrick's got photos of somebody on the Chiefs in the Chiefs organization. He has got blackmail on someone there. Well, I, I my boss is a Chiefs fan, so he he texted me after Connor got drafted. He's like, you know, what's up with him? And I was like, signed. I he didn't get okay. drafted. You know, signed. He's solid. He's tough. We'll we'll see what he. You know, like, like I don't think it's a wasted pick by any means. And then when I saw Plumbrick signed, I was like, you'll never hear this guy's name again. Don't don't worry about that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We didn't even know how to use him. I, I just think it's hilarious that he's listed as a tight end because that's I guess that's what he was the last year. But my goodness, uh, I, I just remember when he was running around and killed us in that UVA. Game. I thought he had cost us the game. I remember that. And I was like, good day. I, I mean, just every time it was like he was our electric go-to, we need a play guy. It's just, okay, let's lose to Maryland by 40 then. When you look at him, all right. when you look at him and the sell like that they give the media, and I know the announcers are just telling them what the SIDs and what the coaches are telling them. They're, they're giving you the information they get because they can't, it's impossible to watch 300-something teams and know everything about every player. And Virginia Tech, believe it or not, is not a high priority for national broadcasts. So when they're getting information from coaches and SIDs and they're like, oh, this is our go-to electric player. As a play-by-play guy looking at him, I would be like, mm, no. Yeah. I'm not saying... As a huge fan of the Hokies, I was like, oh, uh, no. <laughs> if you have long, wavy hair and look like a hippie... a electric and they are describing you as our electric player i'm gonna say we're done yeah i just like show me a highlight or two and i'll know it pretty quick that quarterback room by the quarterback guru justin fuente was a tire fire just so bad tire fires would have been better but yeah we could have lit a tire on fire rolled it down the middle of the field that would have been better absolutely we would have turned the ball over less the stadium would get pretty excited about something like that. All right, D block time, and uh, I will. I'll be the the middle of the sandwich here. So you lead us off with what's dominating your life. All right, let's do it. Let's talk about. Oh my goodness, I gotta get rid of whatever you've got going on here. Okay, what got do on I the have wrong. Going on? Well, I got on. I scrolled too far and ended up in the a hellscape down there. But um. Playoff update for the NBA and NHL. If you listened to me in round one, you went 500. You even made a little bit of money because the Florida Panthers were that big of favorites. Um, It's better than Verlander. That's good. The President's Cup curse is real. The Boston Bruins set a record for most wins in an NHL season, had a 3-1 lead in the series, and went Audi 5 Audi. Loved it. Uh, And... Being the great investor that I am, who did the Florida Panthers play in round two? Another cursed franchise that won their first playoff series in like 20 years. 
the Toronto Maple Leafs. What happens in game one? The Florida Panthers win their first game one since 1997. So book it. If you're listening at home and gambling is your thing, the Florida Panthers, great odds, take them. Round twos, I like the Dallas Stars. They they just retook the lead against the Seattle Kraken and what looks like that's going to be a great series because your Lanch blew it. Um, then you have the New Jersey Devils, which I think, man, what a series that was. That was a fun series. They end up winning game seven rather convincingly against the New York Rangers, and now they'll play the Carolina Hurricanes. I like the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Dallas Stars over the Kraken, and then Vegas versus Edmonton. This is a seven-game series. I do think it's going to be Vegas. I, I went against them with Winnipeg last time. I'm not going against them this time. I do think Vegas and Dallas play in the Western Conference Finals, and then I think you're looking at Carolina and Florida in the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, I was disappointed with my avalanche, but uh, we watched the game on Saturday night with some people, or we were in the same bar area with some people from closer to New York City, so they were very wrapped up in uh, Rangers. Uh, oh. I mean, it was Friday night. Yeah, I was going to oh, say Rangers Friday. And, uh, Rangers and Devils. Devils. So that was uh, that was fun, you know, fun, fun atmosphere to be around uh, for not caring, too. But then also Boston, uh, that game was on. Ooh. NBA. Um, so where I was doing that, woo, woo, woo. NBA. Let's let's be fair. Uh, yeah. NBA's had some exciting series. Uh, the Miami Heat shocking the world, not only winning the series against Milwaukee, winning it in five. Absolutely ripping the Bucks in, apart. Then they play the Knicks. They steal Game One. They barely lose Game Two without Jimmy Butler, which would make me feel not great if I was a Knicks fan. Uh, because I think the Heat are about to win that series. Um, Celtics, they dropped game one at home to the Sixers in round two, which is interesting. I still think the Celtics win that series. Um, out West, you got the Nuggets and the Suns. Nuggets are up 2-0, and we're about to say goodbye to Kevin Durant and them boys. Golden State and L.A., they will start on tonight at 10 o'clock. Uh I had the Kings. I had the Kings because you told me to. And oh, they did. Yeah. They did their best. They just couldn't they light the beam that fourth time. I mean, when Curry's get if Curry's putting up fifty points, I mean, people what are you gonna do? Them, so I was gonna say yeah. that's the problem, right? They, one, I'm, one of the best players plays I, the best. It's, I was gonna say tough. one of the best players and the best shooter in the history of the game. Yeah. Just yeah. I mean, if he's putting up fifty, you ain't winning. So. Nope. All right, now to my weekend, and so I'll talk here for a little bit. Went to Cooperstown, as I previewed last week, and had a blast. Uh, Dan and I rode up there Friday during the day, stopped in Scranton. Scranton was a bit underwhelming. Uh, They have a whole little pamphlet you can get with things to see around Scranton that is at least somewhat tied to the show. Did you go to the industrial coal mine or industrial coal elevator? We did not stop at the industrial coal elevator. Uh, mm. The half of the items that I chose, which were the more prominent things to choose, like a little more direct to the show, not not just loosely related to the show. Half of them kind of didn't exist anymore. So uh, poor Richards, they had a 
pub called Poor Richards. It was in a bowl alley. Doesn't exist anymore. It's called Nick's, and uh, it wouldn't open anyway. Mm. Uh, the pizza, uh, pizza Alfredo's was still there, but uh, we it, it it you know it wasn't real. It, and they taped the show in L.A., so it's it's not but so real. We walked around downtown. We were we went and saw the big Dundee in City Hall. That was nice. Um, we saw the Electric City sign. That was cool. We were supposed to see a mural. That building is getting either demolished or majorly redone. The mural is gone. There's also a giant hole in the ground in front of the place, nice. um, which apparently has a good tie to uh, the burger show on Fox, the animated. Um, Bob's Burgers? Yeah, Bob's Burgers. There's apparently a big hole in that show, in, in, in front of a business in that show. That's what we saw here. Uh, but we made it to Cooper's, and Cooper's did. They had a gift shop. That was really cool, and they had you know all the stuff you see online for office all in one place, and some stuff you're not used to seeing, and stuff more tied to Coopers, and that was cool. And and I bought a couple of things, a couple of magnets and stuff. It made me happy. The funny thing about Scranton, and and then we'll get to Cooperstown, was uh, the funny thing about Coopers was we get to the Coopers parking lot at three o'clock on a Friday. The place was the busiest restaurant I've ever seen. There was a three-hour wait, people out the door, and then we also figured out there was a school letting out across the street, and I think we were in the parent pickup line for the kids. So it was absolute nuts getting into that place, but we did finally, and we were able to buy stuff. It was their anniversary night. They had $7 lobster tails, and that's why there was a three-hour wait. Good so Lord. we we had thought, okay, we'll eat here since, uh, since poor Richards wasn't in existence anymore. Okay, we'll go eat at Cooper's. That didn't happen either. We ended up eating McDonald's. But anyway, we get to Cooper's Town. I've been to that McDonald's. (laughs) The town was closed. The town closes at five in the off season, in the in the non summer seasons. At five o'clock, they board up the (laughs) shops and go home. (laughs) And uh, so there was three bars open, and we visited two of them on the first night. Uh, But they were very nice. Um, But the highlight, obviously, was the plan for Saturday of at nine o'clock be at the Hall of Fame and hit it. I will tell you at one o'clock in the afternoon, I texted my wife and was like, I'm we're we're not gonna see everything in this town I want to see because we are maybe halfway done with the Hall of Fame. I don't even think halfway done yet. Uh, which I think we were actually once I figured that out. And then I wanted to see all the shops. Uh, but we ended up squeezing it in, getting it in. We didn't rush too much in the afternoon, had a lot of fun. And so some of the highlights for me, the things I geeked out the most about, uh, Willie Mays' glove. The one that he made the catch with in 1954, the one that we all know, over his shoulder, going backwards towards the fence and catches that ball. That glove was in the same room as me. It was right there behind some glass, thank goodness, because otherwise I would have touched it. Um, it It was right there. And I thought that was just awesome to see that glove that made that catch, that how famous that catch is. And then you kind of think of the processes here of like, you know, how, how does that glove get to here? And uh, it's interesting. And he had given the glove to the pitcher that um, he saved on that play. And then that family gave that to the Hall of Fame later. But I just, I thought that was amazing that that glove was right there in front of me. I thought that was so cool. And it, it, it threw me back. Um, Hank Aaron's locker from in Atlanta. They had, and it's the old wood and all this. They had a whole exhibit for Hank Aaron there. Um, like a whole little section going on and they had that locker and sitting in that locker. I, I thought that was really cool to be able to sit kind of on that same wooden bench 
that Hank Aaron sat on in that, you know, same space, obviously in a different room in a different place. But um, I thought that was a really cool thing to have at the hall of fame and a really cool thing. So that those two things kind of made me um, geek out the most. Cause I, I didn't expect to see those two things. you know, I expected to see the King Griffey um, plaque and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I took my time with reading that and looking at it, taking pictures and stuff, but those two things definitely stood out to me uh, and made me most excited. The art gallery in there. I don't know if that was there when you were there, but that was a really cool exhibit. One big room with a bunch mm-hmm. of art pieces and just like the the quality of art that this game has inspired. And um, it was just really cool to see. And having gone to many art museums in my time, uh, seeing like a section of the Baseball Hall of Fame kind of committed the same way. I thought that was awesome. Uh, I'm sure the stadium, uh, the whole, you know, um, Holy Grounds mm-hmm. uh, section was there. That That was really cool. Uh, there was two, there was like quizzes in there and Dan was hitting me with that I did well on. I thought that was really nice. And then also there was a movie at noon and maybe they played it all afternoon, but we saw it right at noon. It was like generations of the game. And it basically, they had like eight different hall of famers talking about what it means to be in the hall of fame and their reaction to coming to the hall of fame and all that stuff. And it was just a really done little, well done movie. And, uh, you know, kind of trying to get the emotion out of you. And uh, it was it was really good. And so those things stood out to me, but it was all awesome. I, I loved it all. Um, it was so cool seeing all the stuff, the little stuff you learn. I'll, I'll have a couple of things that I'll learn here in a minute, but I, I just, it was awesome. And uh, I, I loved it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys got to go. And I'm glad, again, if you're a fan of baseball, like it is an amazing museum to go through and there's a lot yeah as you said there's just a lot you could spend an entire day in there if you wanted um i easily could have i if we if i didn't want to hit those shops i would have so and there i mean there is a lot of cool stuff the art gallery was not there when i was there but and it's been years i felt that i seemed it seemed like it was a newer thing or yeah it's been years since i've even been but yeah for for my brother and i was important when i think it was the year after cal got in that we went in um, and so like for Cal to be there was great for us and getting to see his, you know, plaque and, uh, all the other Orioles players and they kind of have it divvied up by like team there a little bit in some exhibits. Um, I know you posted about, yeah, they had this locker pictures. room where it was yeah. like they had a locker for each team. So at least each team was like kind of equally re- uh, recognized in that area. And that was really cool. I, th- I think I sent you. Yeah. And you put, you put some pictures stuff. up cool. of, you know, teams that you knew your friends supported and other, yeah. I think other jerseys that you thought were really cool looking. Um, yeah. It was a limited audience uh, for those pictures online, but yeah, I, I, I made available. Um, yeah. And it was, kind of stuff. it was awesome. And it, that was there when when we went, and that was awesome, and we had a ton of fun. I know my brother and I just. I bet there was different stuff in the locker then too. Oh like sure, saw was like the last four or five years, maybe, maybe right? A bit longer, like, you know, real recent. Yeah, a lot of stuff from last season. And I think they had some other exhibits too of like other Orioles players because I remember seeing you know like a Frank Robinson jersey at one point, and Eddie Murray yeah. jersey somewhere else, and Jim Palmer, Eddie Murray's Cal Ripken, and and yeah. all that, and. There's a whole little section or like a, like the a rings. Area, I, a couple things from the I know you got to saw the, see the rings too. And that was cool that to was look really at. Cool. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's cool to see how 
big the rings have gotten recently um, compared to the older ones. I will say the Florida Marlins won it in 97, but then in 03. And their 03 ring is massive compared to anything up to that point. And even the couple of years after that, they were ahead of their time. Now, the last couple of years, they've caught back up to that. But the the 03 Marlins were ahead of their time in in ring design. If you listen to the Dan Levitard show, you would know that because David Sampson talks about how that ring got made. Um, I, and, I haven't heard that. I and the, find that clip. the purpose behind it. Oh, I don't. <sighs> um, that's a whole other thing. David Sampson on the David Levitard show, Dan Levitard show at this point, but that's for another conversation with people who care to hear it. Um, <laughs> go ahead with, I know there's more you wanted to talk about with the hall of fame. I, you had said the, the section there for the broadcasting was something that like stood out to you. And so I was, Looking forward to that. I I don't know if they've moved it from when you were there or something, but I honestly walked away from that, and it was cool. They had cool thing. They had Harry Carey's glasses. They had the Mike Vince Scully right. they talked into it. Some like cool stuff. I'm not saying it was bad what they had. I just when I was driving home and we were kind of talking out things, you know, it seemed like they took aspects of the game, like the stadiums, you know, how much they mean. Let's have a whole huge room section on this. The way we all take in baseball, the way we know these plays, the way we, you know, see the play that that um, that uh, Willie Mays made that catch. That we, you know, all these calls, these famous calls, broadcasting calls, and and the stuff we know with players. It's all because of these broadcasters and media people. I. I honestly could take a lot more space and celebrate those people and have a lot more. And, and while it's cool to have, you know, a five by three, maybe a little bit bigger thing on a wall with all the other guys equivalent to Peter Gammons, I I think they could have more. I think they could make a bigger deal out of these peoples that cover the game so well. It's an honor for them to be there. Um, you know, and, and Dan kind of gave me a crack. Well, that's because, you know, you call it. I, I have no aspirations of being on that wall or thinking I am on some kind of track for that. I, I just I celebrate these guys that much. And I, I appreciate good calls. And I have arguments about, you know, Ray Miller and Joe Morgan being the best Sunday night ba- baseball call. And, not, and I loved it every chance I got to hear Vin Scully and all this. And while those guys are represented, there's more guys I think we should be representing. And I think in a bigger way than what I saw there. So that was like my only, um, I'm not even say critique. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a critique, but I mean, I love the place and it was awesome. And I did, I love what they did have in that area for that, but I just thought they could be more of that. Cause I think that's a, a bigger part of the game than what it felt on it represented in walking through the hall of fame. But uh, it was still very cool. And then right beside that was where like, they talked about the movies that talk about baseball and field of dreams and, uh, Major League, all of them, like any of the popular baseball movies that we, I think, had a bracket <laughs> during 2020 about which was the best. Like, that was cool, but, like, that felt like the right amount. And after having seen the sportscasters, the media side of it, kind of in a similar amount, I, I just thought that could be bigger. I, that's, that's all I have to say on that. So some of that is new. I don't remember Vin Scully's microphone being there because he was still calling games when Brad and I went to the Hall of Fame. Um, but it just kind of felt like it was like two walls. And no, it I, very I, I much. Would take a whole, I would take a whole section. Yeah, it very much was like two walls, and they kind of joined. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it. I I hear what you're saying. Um, for me, I 
I don't know. I guess I didn't put that much thought into it in terms of what, yeah. what it could have been. But, <laughs> well, I also had a long drive, but um, <laughs> we, I, I was just enjoying reading all the names of the famous broadcasters Absolutely. that I loved listening to or hearing or, and watching um, growing up and being a baseball fan. So for me, like seeing those names was like really cool. And I, I think yeah. Bob Euchre had, yeah. was the latest one to go in at that point when my brother and I went. And so um, it might've been his microphone that was there instead of Vin Scully's because he was the new guy. Um, I think there might've been some Euchre over there too. I, you know, I didn't take a picture of everything. So I, <laughs> my photographic memory is my photographs. So I'm not sure. Right. But that was really, it is a, if you're into sports media, it's cool to see. But yeah. I also get what yeah, Dan's yeah. saying. Fair like enough. you and I care about sports media in a way that maybe most people don't. So that might be, might be fair. I'm not, I'm not up at arms about this. I don't think anybody's been wronged by this. I, I know you want to change who's in charge of the museum over it. It's fine. <laughs> I met her. She was very nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, so what I know that you need to know, I'm going to use things from the hall of fame. Uh, I learned that the ear flap on the helmets, mm-hmm. you had to have ear flaps after 1983. And I assume at least just on the, you know, the one side, the of one the side, side of the pitch coming yep. But if you played without, with a flapless helmet before that, you were grandfathered in and you didn't have to play with a flapless or with a flapped helmet after until, you know, you were tired and then, then you were done. Joe, when do you think that was, was no longer a factor? Who Like, you know, what was the last time someone used a uh, flapless helmet? If the rule was in, set in place in 1983 and every new major leaguer after that had to have flaps on the helmet, when do you think they had the last flapped flapless helmet? <laughs> Two thousand. It's two thousand two. Tim Raines for the Florida Marlins. So good guess. You're right there. I I couldn't believe you know nineteen years later was before that thing went away. So that I thought that was really interesting. Um, obviously it being a Florida Marlins helmet kind of stuck out to me. So I, I was reading that. Yeah. And I, I thought it was crazy. Uh, I also never knew about Sam Bird. Uh, he was a 1932 Yankee World Series member. He also played the Masters four times and uh, finished fourth in 1942. And so they had a whole little section on two sport athletes and, you know, Bo Jackson. Uh, there probably was something Dion in there. And then yeah. uh, it even mentioned Jordan. But then the, here was this golfer, Sam Bird, who uh, played the two sports. In the years he was playing golf, he also played um, baseball. So uh, I he made that work. So that, that was very interesting to me. Now, that was a copy. What they had at the Hall of Fame, they had a copy – of that, um, the real one is down in Augusta. But I, those two little uh, facts of information stood out to me. And I'm honestly, I took a lot of pictures of a lot of the stuff I was going to read. Um, I'm still reading stuff, so uh, maybe next week I'll have more if I if I come up with them. <laughs> that's I, I had know, a great time. I know what I you mean, know, but that's a, a really great funny time. thing For to say. Stuff yes, that I have harped on on this podcast. I I think I could we could have talked this entire podcast about. The trip to Cooperstown. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Um, I guess if you want me to go again, 
to close it out. Yeah, you got you got some things. I, I have another thing I wanted to mention while we're talking. Okay, well, um, we can close with that because this is going to be a not great way to close. Okay. Um, so. Odd. I, the way I titled this was Odd Moments in Sports Media um, this weekend because, as I mentioned earlier, the Florida Panthers uh, knocking out the Boston Bruins because of the President's Cup curse. And the Boston Bruins, I believe it was their radio announcer, but it might have I, I'm almost positive it was a radio announcer. Um, but maybe it was a local TV. I don't know if they had regional TV playoffs or not. Um, at the end, said an ending like the Hindenburg. <laughs> to which... Oh, no. <laughs> when he said it, I was like, that's extreme. Um, this is our 9-11, isn't it? That was Nick Saban after they lost to Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah. Anytime. I know I just said Virginia Tech, the quarterback room was a tire fire. I didn't mention a specific tire fire that is known for killing lots of people for a reason. There are a lot of tire fires where no one gets harmed and it's just a mess. Those are the tire fires I refer to. Now, when you're on a national broadcast or in front of microphones speaking to a national audience and you say, with an ending like the Hindenburg. I don't know. That's a... No one died. I mean, there might have been people who felt like they died. But at the end of the day, no one died as a root cause of the Boston Bruins losing to the Florida Panthers. Um, which, that's not the most head-scratching moment in sports media this weekend because in game one of the Miami heat and New York Knicks series as B roll footage, sometimes they come when they go to or come out of breaks, they show B roll footage of the city and ESPN or ABC are apparently still using B roll footage from when the twin towers existed because they have a shot of the statue of Liberty in the background. You see the twin towers to which everyone rightfully so on social media is like, yo, who missed that? And how hard is it to maybe get a cameraman in the middle of the day at some point in the last 22 years to, or 20 years or so, to ride the boat that goes out to the Statue of Liberty and get some B footage if you want B footage of the Statue of Liberty? I I mean, it's bizarre. Meaningful mixed playoff games. And they probably just went to the last video they had. If that's if that was the point, okay. <laughs> but it was bizarre to me mm. when I saw that on social media, and then ESPN immediately, you know, ESPN issues an apology. I haven't watched any of I didn't watch any of Game Two. I'm sure that was corrected, but I just Knicks won Game Two too. Yeah, but you know what? Great teams cover. And that's what the Miami Heat did. Um, I just... That's crazy. I When I saw that, I was like, wow. Like, that is... The number of people that have to view that B-roll footage and just be like, yeah, we're good. Mm. And it took all of, like, a minute (laughs) on TV for someone to put it on social media and be like, yo, what happened? Also, how old is this? But then you have all the people in the comments that are like, oh, and 
you know, we don't have a professional sports team in this city. So maybe that's something I'll notice if the Orioles are in the World Series and I start seeing a lot of B-roll footage before the Hilton Hotel was constructed in Baltimore. And I'll be like, man, that's really old B-roll footage they're using. But people are talking about, like, during the Wild and Star Series, like, yeah, they were showing super old shots of Minneapolis, like, in the B-roll footage. And they're showing all this old, old footage. And I'm like, it can't be that hard to get a cameraman out there and just shoot some B-roll footage. Like, it just can't be. I mean, I get maybe, like, the shot they had there was, like, coming across the front of uh, the Statue of Liberty with the skyline in the background. Like, that's probably not the easiest shot to recreate. But just, like... Oh, it's got to be super easy to recreate, Leland. Get on the boat. How do you think they created oh, the first time? Like, I mean, that seemed like an airplane. Like, it was an elevated... Like, I, But it doesn't even matter. You could do a different shot. Like, that's fine. Like, we don't have drones. It's probably easier today than it ever now. was. Yeah, easier now with drones and stuff. But yeah, you'd think every, like, five years, they'd kind of have, like, all right, let's go to the big cities and get our... You know, and especially for ESPN. Let's get our like, B-roll. Every five years. Like, I would think every two years. Like... With drones, I mean, you don't I'm even like have to. I was saying, like pay a, a cameraman. Yeah, I was saying, pay a cameraman. You don't even have to pay a cameraman. Get a drone. Yeah. Well, uh, the other thing I did just want to mention, it's more of like a what you need to know. They they announced the schedule for the college football playoff with the twelve teams, so that won't be this football season. This football season will be normal mm-hmm. with the. Uh, the semifinal games rolling into the championship, the same kind of timeline that we're used to, but starting in the 24 season, it will really be a lot different in the college football playoff that weekend around the 20th of uh, December, it'll be the 20th next year, the 19th, the year after, but that kind of that third weekend of December, when usually that's like kind of the first bowl weekend, like kind of kicks off bowl season. It's going to be first round playoff games. So Friday night, a evening kickoff and then three games Saturday all at their own times, early afternoon, late afternoon and evening. Um, that that'll make for a much different uh, bowl season with that Saturday just being absolutely crucial. The first four teams will be on a bye, but then five through 12 will all be playing each other. So that'll be interesting. Rolls into the traditional New Year's Eve, New Year's Day um games with uh you know the usual six bowl games that we're used to hearing the fiesta bowl chick-fil-a rose bowl sugar bowl all those over uh kind of the same schedule as week before a night game on new year's eve and that'll be out on tuesday in 24 or you know yeah in 24 and then three games wednesday so we're kind of used to that schedule but then we still have semifinals to play a week later on the 9th and 10th one thursday night one friday night and then that leads to the championship, not till the 20th. So all of this schedule just really gets pushed out deeper into January. College football not going up against the NFL at any given time. They're playing that first weekend, Friday and Saturdays, and they're walking over their own bowl schedule. So those will all change. All those late, smaller bowls will get spread out over the weeks. They won't be four bowl games on Saturday with lower bowls like that anymore. Uh, those other games are on Tuesday, Wednesday, or you know, Thursday the next year. Uh, the semifinals are on a Thursday night and a Friday night. And then, yeah, the national championship is still on a Monday night. So it's interesting. Uh, it'll be different. You know, I can sit here and say I don't like it. No, it's fine. I'm going to watch the crap out of all of it. This, the whole idea of the playoff talk has never been, will Leland watch it or not? I'll watch it. I'll watch all those first round games. Um, so that just, it just, I think it really adds that first Saturday 
of the playoffs that weekend of the 20th, I think got decent bowl game numbers and stuff because people are probably settling it, you know, starting their Christmas vacation. They're, I don't want to, I want to watch some football. We haven't had any football since Thanksgiving weekend. Let's go. Um, no, this is going to be a huge, hugely uh, for uh, eyeballs on that first Saturday, and it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I when I when this came yeah. out, I got excited, um, and I immediately thought, how hard would it be to institute this this year? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's one year we have to suffer of it. It's not that's not that bad. Yeah, it'll be fine. I'll I'll be okay. But. Um, Oh, I guess, you know, we should mention, because this does matter to local, speaking of college football, this does matter to local fans. JMU did get their waiver denied. So, Oh, yeah. How did I not have that in here? Uh, JMU football did get their waiver denied, if you did not catch the news. So they will not be bowl eligible. They cannot win the Sunbelt Championship. Um, well, the, the Sunbelt Championship part has not been said officially, but I would imagine the Sunbelt is not going to volunteer to have their conference championship. The same reason they couldn't win it last year. They're not going to have them win it this year. I mean, The yeah. Sunbelt will say, you're playing a Sunbelt conference schedule. If you win the East Division, you can claim East Division champs, but you will not win our conference championship. Um, right. And I get that from the Sunbelt perspective. Uh, the Sunbelt commissioner, you know, talked about how disappointed he was in the decision. Everyone is up in arms. I think a large part of that is because uh, someone was getting one source or, you know, at least only sources from one side of the decision-making process, which was actually zero bearing on the decision-making process. Uh, and... I believe uh, people were quote tweeting old tweets from him saying 95% sure that this is going to get done. Um, look, I, I know I'm laughing. I am not happy for those kids. That sucks. I wish JMU had gotten the waiver. But as we have said about Shane multiple times on this podcast, it would be cool if there was a journalist covering that team. Um and not a fan. I think the breeze, the breeze has some. The breeze does have some, and uh, it it would be great if someone wasn't a fan and didn't just parrot everything he heard and took it as gospel. And Noah comes over there; he does a good job. Yeah, if 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 Shane didn't parrot everything as gospel <laughs> when he gets something. And, you know, something like this, like, I even said to you, like, I know the official stance from the NCAA is going to be, we have no comment. I get that. So I understand he's not going to have an answer there, probably, unless someone, unless he's incredibly lucky and someone goes as an anonymous source on the NCAA end. But when you say things like, from what I'm hearing, this is 95% done, like, you're really setting yourself up for this. Yeah. And and then the fan base is outraged because they were viewing this as we're going to be bowl eligible next year. Yeah, and it's and the thing is, it's over. Like the school's like, yeah, like that's the decision, and that we're, well, because there is no other appeal pot process. Like that's there's it. no appeal. There's no nothing. Now there is a route for them making a bowl game, and that's if there's not enough bowl eligible teams. Right. JMU is in the driver's seat to get one of those spots. And that happens. That's not that's not something that's just beyond rare. That happens. We that's sure. we see teams with losing records in bowl games. So you've seen that. We've all seen that. So that's JMU's hope now. 
So come November, Jamie's going to be going into every weekend rooting for uh, <laughs> rooting for teams for, to be five and seven. Yeah. Yeah. You want you want every know what you want as many few teams to be having six wins as possible. So they'll be rooting against every five win team in the nation in November. So that'll I'm sure we'll talk about it on the podcast, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be something. So, yeah, that's true. With the tweet list every week. Yeah, that's true. You you would you saying that is very true. There is still technically a way for JMU to get into a bowl yeah. game. And every time like Georgia Tech beats South Carolina in the season, it's gonna be hated by <laughs> JMU fans will have a newfound hatred for Georgia Tech. Um yeah. but <laughs> yes. Um but yeah, I mean I just like when that happened and I saw it, I was like, gosh, that sucks. And then part of me did. I, I just, again, I'm not, when I laugh, I'm, it's not because I'm happy with the decision. I'm not happy that this decision came down. I wish JMU was bowl eligible next Absolutely. year. I wish the kids got a chance to play in a bowl game. I wish the kids had a chance to win the Sunbelt championship and all that jazz. But there is part of me that's like, without being in the room, I know how his article got written. I just, I know. He texted somebody at JMU. They said, we feel 95% sure. I don't know how high up that person at JMU is. But they said, we feel 95% sure. And he was like, cool. (laughs) Click, 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 click. Yeah, like the little cat memes where they're hammering on a keyboard. And it's just like, you know there's another side that actually makes the decision. And even if they give you no comment, you can say... What he should have said is, sources at JMU feel confident. Yeah. You don't go on Twitter and say and start answering fan questions like, oh, this is a done deal. Like, yeah. because then you look like an idiot. And then you have to do He's what he did on Twitter. The same guy that last year lit the fire of JMU's undefeated. They're going to change, you know, they need to change the rule for them to be in the college football playoff this year. Like, if they're not going to change the fo- the rule in between after the season, at the right time to review such a thing. My goodness, they weren't changing it in November last year. Like, yeah, like it's just, it was a mile away and you just get everybody all riled up for nothing. Uh, well, there's no doubt that he got riled up and folks were riled up. And again, I get it. Like from the stand- fan standpoint, I get it. I hope this doesn't impact JMU ticket sales, but um, I would say there's still going to be good football there. Like you're still going to get to see yeah. quality opponents come into Bridgeforth. They're still going to play good games. Yeah, there's a Harrisonburg, but they're still going to do it. Yeah, there's a short trip over the mountain for a business trip where you go beat UVA in Charlottesville, which will be fun. How much that purple is going to stick out in that stadium? Like they are going to take oh, over. Oh man, that I am trying to find people to go with. Trust me. I, I'm my asking wife's probably one of them because I think I'm going to the Tech game that weekend. I, I asked wait, a UVA fan. That's fine. Stephanie and I can go. <laughs> Um, but I asked a friend who is a UVA fan and they said, absolutely not. (laughs) So the season ticket, the thing is, (laughs) that's what tech fans do. They buy UVA season tickets just so they have the tech game. The Jamie fans are going to do it too. The higher level ones, the season ticket holders. It's great. Um, yeah. But there's going to be a lot of purple in that building. It's going to stick out. Like when we go over there, you're used to seeing orange. And okay, now the maroon, but that purple is going to stick out. And they're going to win. JMU is going to win that football game. Oh, I agree. They're going to win that game. And so, you know, if you're a JMU fan, go over the mountain, get the big win against UVA, celebrate. Yeah. That's your bowl game. 
And maybe if you're lucky, you get another chance. They want to hold. They still want to do the same thing they did last year. Win that side, you know, rub it in the face. They they still want all that. Sure. And they could do that. They they absolutely could do that. Because if they did it last year, I didn't think they were going to do it last year. And if they did it last year, there's no reason they can't do it again. Um, But, yeah, I I think you just got to understand, like, this is a very – the positive outlook on this is this this sucks. It's one more year, and then you are with both barrels ready to unload on the Sun Belt and win the conference championship. Like, just, just wait till Grand Canyon, you know, goes to D one football and they get the waiver. Just wait till that happens. I would be really surprised if that happens. Um, I will be surprised too, but like that's what it feels like. That's that's gonna it's gonna suck. It's like JMU deserves this, and, and this, this is, is not be like the next pool. That probably doesn't deserve it. And like something will happen where they get the waiver. I don't get like after 2020 taught us all, we should all be able to deal with things on the fly a lot easier. And the NCAA can adjust schedules and can adjust, you know, things on the fly because of predicament. Like this, this is just, it's on the table. It's so easy can- for them to change this one. I don't, I really still, I saw Bourne's comments back. I saw the reasoning they had. I, I still don't get it. Like, too much things point the other direction. It just, they're better than that. The reasoning the was weird. Had was already, they've already achieved all that. They've already, and more than just winning on the field last year, they have the kids in there. They have the bodies, the size they need to be. Their recruiting has been good. Like it's all there. Now I will say that. What did we say last year when Kurt Zanetti in one of the post-game press conferences where the team was losing some games? What did he say? We've got a lot of injuries. And we're still building an FBS roster. Yeah, he screwed them. He screwed. He them. said that fault. out loud at a press conference, and I said on this podcast, Fire. I said, as a person who's applying for a waiver, that's a really dumb thing to say out loud. That's true. You did so that. I don't know if that's the deciding factor. I would be shocked if one coach comment is the deciding factor in that appeal. I decision. wish it was. I wish they would have said that. That would have made me laugh. Yeah. Um, but we denied your waiver. <laughs> but. <laughs> I I also will say, like, it, it sucks. And I, I know there's a lot of people saying if you have the appeal process and JMU doesn't fit the appeal process, why even have it? Like, because of the success they had. And this is, to be fair, this also isn't just a football thing. The reason Fairleigh Dickinson was in the NCAA tournament was because the school who won their conference tournament in basketball was in a transition year and wasn't eligible to be in the NCAA tournament the first transition year yeah but football goes the two years Mm -hmm. the other sport I mean well basketball is only a roster of 12 yeah I I I I agree to the point if if JMU is not good enough then no one ever better be it's it's odd it's odd and uh yeah it sucks but at this point you just gotta buckle up and play through what it is now Buckle up and play through. And to your point, un- unless you're like 10 and 0, don't worry about we should be in the college football playoff. Yeah. Def- yep. Yep. I, that, ge- that goes when you're eligible or not eligible. <laughs> no, nah, nah, if you're a G5 <laughs> team and you're like 6 and 0, I get it. I get it. Because then you're that's like your line. national championship is talking about being in the playoff. <laughs> that, that's your fun. Plus, hey, here's the good news. By the time you're eligible, you have a path to the playoff. There you go. It's all lining up.
So yeah, just don't have your coach uh, say stuff like we're not worthy of the playoff when you First lose a game. Um, <laughs> uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. Make sure you subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Tell your friends. You can follow us on Twitter at Yak Sports Pod, Facebook Yak Sports Pod, or email us yaksportspod at gmail.com. Uh, we talk a lot of local sports when it comes to the high school sports, especially in Augusta County. Make sure you're tuning in. We'll have even more baseball, softball, and soccer news for you, and even some tennis as the spring sports get ready to wind up here in the month of May, because that's going to be playoff time here before you know it. NCAA playoffs will be coming for our local schools. We'll talk about those as well, as well as some of your favorite pro teams that Leland and I like to jabber jaw about. Until then, folks, we hope, again, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Exports Podcast. Have a great week. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.